I'm trying to imagine like the setup that you had. Like, were you going like under your bed or what? What, what was the what was the story there? What just now? Yeah. Yeah, I had to reach under my like I had to get off the bed, go on the floor, go under my bed, grab this thing that I have in there that's like a from IKEA that just like holds shit. Pull out the microphone, get back onto the bed, and then plug things in, and all the wires were getting everywhere, and I hated it, and I wanted to die. <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck me! Look at that. <laughs> the trials and tribulations of the podcaster. I know, right? The struggle. Okay, so anyway. So welcome to episode 14 of Stuck in the Middle with You, a podcast where two guys take a look at a critically divisive film and see on what side of the consensus they fall on. My name is Derek Gade, and my friend and collaborator broadcasting live, well not really live, from Miami, Florida, is the one and only Juan Barakin. Say hi, Juan. The one and only. Yeah, that's me. Hi. <laughs> See, that's two weeks in a row. You're like fake surprise that I refer to you as such. I didn't remember if it was last <laughs> last time or like a time before that. I feel like I do it often enough. Where well, you d- you've done it twice in a row now. So, Congratulations to me. Yeah, achievement unlocked narcissism. Sweet. Speaking of narcissism, our Speaking film today... Of- Mildly yes. deals with that. You stole my joke. <laughs> Did I? Kind of. Really? I was going to go with speaking of sweet. Oh, well, speaking of sweet, speaking of narcissism, speaking of crippling social anxiety, speaking of everything that speaking creates of, me as a human being, here's Antichrist. <laughs> speaking of everything <laughs> that composes one as a human being, including genital mutilation and psychological I was violence. really hoping you would say including general mutilation. <laughs> And uh, psychological uh, trauma. Yeah. And yeah, the movie we covered this week is Antichrist, directed by Lars von Trier, released in 2009. Now, I should say right up top, right at the top of the show, that I did not finish Antichrist. I tapped out at the 72-minute mark because there's some shit I don't need in my life, and genital mutilation is one of them. I see. But I did watch most of the movie. Did you know? Yeah, I did. <laughs> That's what I literally just said. It's almost as if you don't pay attention to what I say. I know. I don't care. <laughs> You're such a, <laughs> such a bastard. I know. Whatever. It's your. F- you could have just watched the Catholic version of the movie. I could have watched. Uh, I thought that was the Catholic. No, the Catholic version was the cut version, right? Yeah. I could have done that. The Protestant but- version is the uncut. What I did, though, is usually what I do with extreme movies that I don't want to engage with is I go and I find the most detailed synopsis possible and I read it. <laughs> and it gets basically the same effect from me. Uh, pro- uh, no, it doesn't. It does. No, it doesn't. <laughs> yes, it does because I don't need to see the image to, to know what the image does uh, to me. Uh. Well, get, well, we're getting way ahead of ourselves. Juan, what the fucking shit? is antichrist about actually derek i don't think that antichrist can be summarized easily in such a manner but um oh my god essentially wow. I'm, I'm i'm putting on Jesus. my my Come pretentious on. let me just open a my pretentious here. glasses let me just open a parenthesis here and, and say <laughs> that one i think that is the most pretentious <laughs> assholeish thing you have said on this podcast I'm Continue. so fucking glad. Uh, anyway, whatever. Uh, essentially, 
Uh, Antichrist is split into six parts. There is a prologue, an epilogue, and uh, four chapters. The first is the prologue, which is um, essentially just this really lush, gorgeous, fucking perfect black and white uh, Interesting scene. that you say fucking. Yes, I know, I know. <laughs> hardcore up-close penetration. Yeah, uh, essentially uh, him and her, or she and he. Uh, would, Played really by Charlotte Gainsbourg and Willem Dafoe. Yes, they have no names. Are having sex, uh, lots and lots and lots of sex, passionately. And their child, Nick, who is the only named character in the movie, uh, essentially just plops on out of... Or technically, he's not the only named character because the cabin in the woods is named Eden, and then you have the Jesus three. Christ. No, it's true. No, no I would. No, I know argue... it's named. I know it's named that. The fact that it's called Eden. No, I would argue. Whatever. Okay. Uh, <laughs> we're not. Not yet. Not yet. We're not gonna get it. And then there's grief, pain, and despair. But whatever. So Nick falls to his death. Yeah, Nick is a toddler. <laughs> Nick is a kid. A wee bab. This whole intro sequence, kind of in a nutshell. Uh, at least to me, represents everything that is beautiful and frustrating with the cinema of Lars von Trier. Does it now? Allow me to elaborate. Feel free. Lars von Trier is a great filmmaker. He's a yes, great, he is. He's a great image maker. He has a knack for staging, sound, which and it's really weird because I feel like his whole the whole dogma thing was like a deliberate attempt to sort of put spokes in his own wheels to see how he could work without his own strengths mm-hmm. but in the post dogma stuff very lush uh great use of slow motion very uh, painterly uh visuals and uh, like an adolescent fascination for button pushing or edge oh my God. you and your fucking adolescent i'm so fucking sick of hearing you say that word I don't want to say it's like faux edginess because it's it not does. faux edginess. I it's... was, li- dude. I was literally oh, saying that no. I don't want to call it that. I literally yeah, but say... you do want to call it that. No, no, no. I know you. I'm going to call it something else. Uh huh. I'm going to try to bring new nuance... button pushing, regardless. No, I'm going. To, I'm going to try to bring nuance and subtlety to what I meant to say, which is something that Lars Montreux is not good at doing. Heyo. He doesn't need nuance and subtle. There is a lot of new. Whatever. Okay, we're not gonna. We're not gonna. We're not gonna... So I think that there's a kind of self-sabotage going on here. Is there now? That's like sort of a central uh, push and pull in a lot of Lars von Trier's movies. Sometimes it... Sometimes you just drop the microphone or something. It sounded like an empty cup. <laughs> That's because my. Are you gonna are you gonna do Anna Kendrick's cups? Are you gonna are you gonna cup it up for us? I, I don't know what the hell that is. <laughs> is that gonna is that gonna be easier for you? Do a little pitch perfect, some light, light hearted seen... fun. You're you're talking to me about liking light hearted <laughs> fun like I'm a giant baby, and I don't appreciate the condescending tone. <laughs> As I I'm... need to be an antagonistic piece oh, of shit God. right now. I am so annoyed with you. As I was saying, go on. This sort of push pull between like beauty and button pushing lies at the heart of the cinema of Lars von Trier. Sometimes the beauty side wins. Sometimes in a movie like Breaking the Waves or Melancholia, the beauty wins. Sometimes the button pushing wins, and that's when I'm less interested in his movies. This happens to be the case 
now, kind of. I feel I, has I feel hesitant to say anything definitive about this movie because I didn't finish it. Exactly. It was a, it was a DNF. But you, I, the thing is, you didn't see the button pushing aspect of it. Here's here's a, here's the thing where you get kind of ontological and metaphysical about imagery and cinema. You want to be pretentious? Let's get let's get fucking high minded here. Okay? Oh my god, this is gonna be like the most like <laughs> simultaneously intellectual slash angry and antagonistic discussion we've this ever is, had. Is, yeah, this is either gonna be the best or worst or last episode of Stuck in the Middle with You. <laughs> Nobody listens. <laughs> From an ontological sort of metaphysical point of view, right? Mm-hmm. I know. The imagery that makes up the 20 minutes or so of the film that I didn't see. Okay? Okay. Since I have a mind and I can conceptualize and I can think and feel, I can sort of transpose what I would think of that without having seen it because I've got all this context. I see. Right? So I did not see Willem Dafoe's testicles get crushed with a block of wood. I did not see Charlotte Gainsbourg bore a hole through Willem Dafoe's leg and chain him outside. Nor did I see Charlotte Gainsbourg take a rusty pair of scissors to her clitoris and remove it from her body. But Mm -hmm. I don't need to see that to know, A, how I would feel about seeing it, and B, how it would fit in context with the rest of the film. I disagree. I kindly, kindly disagree. You kindly disagree? Yes. I'm being nice and kindly disagreeing. Do you have like a I, ca- do you have like a counterpoint though? Nothing. I think it needs to be seen to be wholly experienced. No, no, no. no. And... To be wholly experienced, sure. In that I didn't see literally see watch the whole thing to the credits, yeah. But it's but like I think I don't know, there's something about the way you receive a movie that changes entirely when you miss a very grand portion of uh, because i know you don't think it's it's a ton but it it is a ton of a movie it's really like it's just really really brilliant watching these moments unfold regardless of how fucked up they are here's the thing though the film is both a literal and figurative journey to the heart of grief right um, to the heart of uh, is it it's it's this entanglement of sex and grief and guilt and a lot of negative emotions because i think it's a pretty known fact that von trier was in a pretty bad place when he wrote this movie right yes the movie and i think this is true of a lot of lars von trier's movies because more than a lot of directors the idea I remember in episode one where I talked about the idea of Tom Cruise and how that affects movies with him in it. The idea of Lars von Trier is always there when I'm watching one of his movies. And almost to a T, when I'm watching his movies, it's like a, like, like a, like a sadistic tour guide. Now allow me to explain this weird sadistic metaphor. Sadistic tour guide. Yes, allow me to explain this strange metaphor that I've chosen to use. Every movie directed by Lars von Trier is basically old Larsy boy going, I would like to welcome you into this world. Follow me into this world of depravity and sadness and soul-crushing emptiness. This is the first movie where the line in the sand, or my line in the sand, was crossed. 
And I told Lars, I'm sorry, you win. You can finish this one without me. I'm good. I don't need this shit in my life. If I am the bourgeois person to be shocked, consider me both bourgeois and shocked. I don't need this. You take the W. I tap out. Ring the bell. I see. Meanwhile, this was my, like, sixth time watching this movie, probably. <laughs> Um, I think it's by far one of my absolute favorites of his works. Like of the, um, of the ones that I've seen, it's like mid tier. But again, I don't want to make any final. I don't want to make any final pronouncements on this film because I didn't, didn't finish it. it. I was talking to one off mic uh, earlier. And I said this kind of felt like a dry run for me, at least for Melancholia, which I feel Ooh. is a lot of has a lot of the same themes and look and feel. And relationships, but I think with a kind of a greater sense of elegance to it, like a more firm idea of what it wants to do, a more sort of unified, cogent thing about it. See, this is this is I was getting very angry with Derek about this earlier because I think that's such a I don't want to say it's a stupid thing to say. <laughs> I got it. But it's it's a fucking stupid thing to say, Derek. They are like, yes, they have like very, very clear thematic overlapping. Yes. Uh, Part of the so-called Depression Trilogy. Yeah, which I feel strange when people include Nymphomaniac in it. But you need three movies again, to make a trilogy, man. In fairness, I didn't finish watching Nymphomaniac. Neither so. did I. Neither man. one of us has seen part two of Nymphomaniac. Well, you know how you know how that that feeling that I'm sure you got, same as me, you felt burnt out on the idea of this movie. It says, "Yes, I get it, Lars. I get the idea. I know where you're going with this. I don't want to follow you down this road anymore." (laughs) Yeah, that's the same fucking thing. I get it. I get it. I know. Eventually, I know I will watch both parts of the extended director's cut nonsense it's a four hour fucking movie <laughs> i know derek but i want to do it anyway just to i don't know feel like i'm doing something i guess i don't know there are tens of, <laughs> there are th- tens of thousands of movies out there man yeah but whatever anyway i think i think calling antichrist a dry run of melancholia is so limited considering they're such they're such completely different explorations of human beings just because they follow the same grieving and depression like thematically speaking it's doesn't not just mean... thematic though it's also in terms of look those grandiose dark tableaus of nature but uh, in terms of look i mean arguably nymphomaniac has some similar ties although very different because it also takes it another step further and experiments a little more with the way he plays with filmmaking i guess i don't know yeah the thing with nymphomaniac at least nymphomaniac part one is that there is a definite playfulness in form yes that you could argue was there in antichrist but it didn't feel playful but that's the thing i don't felt like it, it felt like a means to an end yeah but i don't think yeah, I and mean, I've, like you say, like str- it, it's not meant to be playful at all. I don't no, think no. anything about 
the like his presentation in either Antichrist or Melancholia is supposed to be playful. I think they're essentially. I see that. That's why I don't consider this this set like a trilogy. I think it's just a beautiful like a pair. Like it's a pairing. <laughs> I think the word you're looking for is duology. Yeah, duo. But like, ugh, whatever. I think it's a perfect. Like I think Melancholia and Antichrist are a perfect pair because of that like singular vision in presentation. And also, I think that the way that he explores grief in Antichrist is. Uh, it's 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 really fascinating because like I don't know how to like explain what I want to get to with this like I don't know how to like, like read talk that. through talk through it man it's a podcast that's true um you like after watching it like what six fucking times like there's so many little pieces of it that I just sit there thinking like okay but what if she's not actually experiencing grief at any point what if she is just forcing herself and or being forced by others to go through the motions of what we think a woman should go through in, like, the grieving of her dead child. Because, honestly... But then the movie falls apart at that point because she already doesn't. What do you mean she already doesn't? Well, this is teased early in the movie when she says that uh, a doctor says that she has an abnormal... A grief cycle or whatever. The oh, so that she has an. Uh, Wayne says my grief pattern is atypical. I wrote That's down that one, quote yes. because I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> but I also like. I don't think that she is like. I. I don't know. Some sometimes when I watch this movie, I think like yes, she is grieving, but at the same time, I don't like. Sometimes when I watch it, I think no, this was like. I think she wanted her son to die. Uh. Oh. <laughs> i think and like and like there's a lot of beats that this oh i feel like we should like clarify a little more on the movie i feel like i mean i i assume nobody listening to this has not seen antichrist but at the same time like just i case. recommend i recommend reading the uh the wikipedia summary for it because if anything it is detailed as shit yeah, I anything guess like, in, pause any, here and read that if you aren't caught up with the movie. Anything that isn't cause <laughs> anything that isn't important isn't mentioned. Everything that's important is there. Yeah, more or less. But anyway, essentially, like I think it's really like it's 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 really fascinating to explore it through a side of like, hey, maybe she doesn't entirely mind that her child like yes she is grieving that her child is dead but not for the sole reason that like oh my child is dead it's because she doesn't have that additional attention anymore which is why she's so hell-bent on ensuring that her husband remains with her and attentive to her and that is why i mean everything kind of just builds up to this point of this woman bringing like ensuring that he remain like she literally bolts a wheel to her husband's leg to make sure that he like to force him to stay around her i think well i because on the level on the first level you've got grief yes there's on also the level you have pain and third yeah. despair well no, no no i mean i'm not talking about the subtitles oh. <laughs> which are there's not necessarily correlation between act breaks and subject matter it's just Lars von Trier being Lars von Trier it's yeah, a no it's they're, it's they're totally, very totally it's not totally arbitrary but they're pretty arbitrary chapter splits honestly kind of but you have the <laughs> grief they have the guilt but i think the, at the core of this movie is self-loathing 
self-loathing, self-loathing accompanied by narcissism or contrasted by narcissism and how they go hand in hand. There's this whole aspect that we haven't covered so far about uh, witches and about women yes. deserving death. And uh, you know how some people have like uh, like parent issues and like is- like or whatever issues. Lars has got some lady issues that yes. he has to work through. He does, which I think and works- the way he works through them is kind of fascinating. Honestly, I was gonna say inelegant, but inelegant. But is it not? really fascinating to watch the way he works through them most of the time i think that the way they develop in this particular film are like i said inelegant clumsy to the point where giant freudian symbols at the end of the film you know destruction destruction of the phallus destruction of the the of the other phallus this women at the end of the movie which may or may not be a witch's coven i'm not sure it's messy to say the least and I don't know if this was super well thought out, but I'm not going to give this movie a hard time because it's not linear. Once they get into the woods, shit shit gets kind of hazy. But it's it starts, arguably still a linear narrative. Like linear in the sense of time probably, but not probably not in terms of perception because it goes from being relatively naturalistic to out there. Well, it's essentially all – I mean like it can be argued that it, yeah, the, the old entirety of, of Eden is essentially – like her perception of Eden, even when we have him alone. Right. I mean, accusations of misogyny of dog Lars von Trier for his whole career. <sighs> the thing is, like, see, th- this this movie, I don't, I don't think is misogynistic. I could, I could see how I it can could be see the arg- Yes, yes, I can see the arguments. For and I would it. probably tend to believe some of it because it's. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> from an acting point of view in terms of performance and, and parts Lars von Trier gives these amazing amazing roles for these actresses your Emily Watsons and your Charlotte Gainsbourg's and your Bjorks and Kristen Dunst Kristen. and Kristen Dunst that's, that's true but they're all punching bags they are all they get slaughtered and defeated by life in various ways I don't and think they're all punching be, bags. No, be, Some it, of them it, are. It would be worrying if it so. weren't such a trend. To a certain extent, I think a lot of the women are. Like, but at the same, uh... it's here's the thing. That's what that's what that's part of the frustration and uh, interest, I guess, of Lars von Trier is that it, it's such a such a fine line to walk. It is such a tough road to hoe. That... But at the same time, I feel like just like. Like when people just declare his films misogynistic on like off the ball, like the second they watch them, I feel like it's such a cop out from actually having a legitimate discussion about these like the film's gender politics and the way he he writes these women, not necessarily all who have like like after being punching bags, some of them end up in positive roles, some of them end up in negative. Uh, situations and like uh there's a there's a really interesting s like not an essay it's a conversation essay i guess on a film quarterly about antichrist uh with rob white and nina power uh here it is uh the brutalization and death often await von trier's female protagonists there is a world of difference between on the one hand the heartbroken innocence in breaking the waves and dancer in the dark and on the other hand 
the resourceful avenging women in Dogville and Antichrist. She is akin to Grace at the end of Dogville, who says, I want to make this world a little better, and then has gangster henchmen put the town to the sword. And like, yes, that's that's like that's that's fascinating to me to think about. It is very interesting to look at her, I guess she, she. Uh, as akin to 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 Dogville's Grace, because like it goes into this further discussion about like how she gazes at the camera in the prologue and how she just, you know, everywhere else there are smudged faces, but she never, never, never backs down from like what she's doing. This is where I feel like Von Trier's, I guess, tendency towards big symbolism is a potential problem with specific regard to accusations of misogyny. Go on. <laughs> well, if we take the specific example of this film, yeah, you have basically Charlotte Gainsbourg, I don't know if you want to call it taking charge of the dynamic there by by basically chaining up Willem Dafoe, crushing his dick and severing part of her own genitals. Her but clitoris. Her clitoris. And... Like the bluntness of the symbolism robs these characters of potential nuance in a way, and I feel, mm. and I feel like if care more care were given to these characters, and not so much the symbolism, uh, the symbolism that they or the action that they do represent, accusations would be less flung less frequently in that regard. I don't think his. I guess lack of subtlety or whatever takes away from his narrative or his characters having nuance. I feel like, I mean, just look at this, the, the incredible argument we're having or not argument, but discussion we're having about these characters. Like, yes, there's, there's bold and even just overt symbolism and, uh, visuals, I guess in, in this film, but it's not, it doesn't take like if anything it adds to the the discussion i think it makes it uh it makes it all the not deeper i, I don't want to say it makes it all the deeper i sound so fucking pretentious but uh <laughs> you've already established that you sound like a pretentious so yeah, I, I know earlier but still like i don't i i feel like overt symbolism does not negate nuance in character i think i think von trier's overtness his lack of subtlety, his always very on the nose existence really is is part of what makes him fascinating as a filmmaker. Which kind of like leads me to to ask, are we talking about this because it's this movie, or are we talking about this because it's Lars von Trier? Oh, there goes Lars again, fucking doing his thing. I mean, the thing is, can we actually split both of them? Like, is there any way to Yeah, I guess you can't really. Exactly. If someone else had made this movie, do I think it would have been the same movie? God, no. Absolutely not. I don't think anyone else could have ever made this movie. And that's why they go hand in hand. Alejandro Jodorowsky would have made this movie, but it would have been very different. No shit. <laughs> it, would have, it would have been, first of all, it would have been a lot brighter. He favors big colors and big symbols too, but he favors so many big symbols that that becomes the text. You think like some, something like the Holy Mountain, which is just overt symbolism. Yeah, like from, pretty from, much. From end to end. That it then, absolutely is. Yeah. Then that becomes the text. But why can't it be both? Why can't it be both overt symbolism and 
sly discussion, like sly pseudo intellectual discussion inside not, of a movie. Because it's not <laughs> sly. Alejandro Jodorowsky wants to enlighten you. Lars von Trier wants to push your buttons. I don't think he wants and to I think just push your buttons. I think that's the core difference. I don't think he just wants to push your buttons. Maybe he doesn't all the time, but if it happens, I'm sure he, he tells himself, I think I did a good job. I don't think he minds the fact that he's pushing people's buttons. I think it goes hand in hand. Whatever. <laughs> this is just us going back and forth at this point with the same thing. I think I think something else that's really cool to talk about in, uh, from the essay, because a lot of the movie has like these discussions about like, uh, like the female being being like evil or like source of all sin. Yeah. And like nature is Satan's church and nature is obviously associated with femininity and mother nature and et cetera, witches. et cetera, which is what? <laughs> no, witches. like, oh, witches. Oh, yeah. witches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is I'm sorry. I'm like, which is what, Derek? Which is fucking what? <laughs> but I, uh, there's this one quote uh, <laughs> that I fucking love. That is, um, there's darkness under cover of beauty. There is murk in the midst of hygiene. The roots of the plant dirtying the water in the tidy hospital. The bloody crow in the quiet of the foxhole. If she can change semen into blood, albeit with the help uh, of a handy block of wood, uh, does this mean that trans... Substantiation. Thank you. God knows I was going to stumble over that word. Is uh, pace Catholicism uh, far more common than we think? After all, sexual organs with the power to bleed are hardly, quote-unquote, unnatural for half of humanity, or at least we're not supposed to think it's odd. Cis men are typically afraid of cis women because of the fact that they bleed out of their sexual organ for x amount of time every month and i think like like it's so interesting to me to see this essentially forced upon a man in this film like quite literally forced upon a man and him not being able to cope with this this event happening here's the thing i don't mind bleeding genitals i just don't like crushed balls and severed clits in my movies (laughs) There is a difference. That's fine. I mean, I'm not saying you have to. I'm not saying you have to like it. I think it's a very interesting thing. No, from like it's like a, the film. It's, a, it's an interesting conceptual image. That's the thing. This whole thing was an interesting <laughs> conceptual image, and that ain't enough. It lots is enough of, for me. I think. I don't of, think it's just an interesting of, conceptual image. Of, I think a lot of the concept come to come to light when you experience the film. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think we're about half an hour in, so we, I think it's about time for, uh, for uh, final judgments. Oh, I guess. So one, uh, fresh or rotten on Antichrist. Fresh, fresh. It remains fresh to this day. I don't think I will ever watch this movie and think, no, I don't like it. I also kind of love that the film is dedicated to, to Tarkovsky. Andrei Tarkovsky, that's true. <laughs> Another man oh. who used nature, the elements in his films. It's very fitting, I think. Uh, but anyway, yeah, it's always going to be fresh for me. You know, I fucking love this in, movie. In, in, in true Lars von Trier's fashion, that dedication feels perverse. <laughs> Everything in his movies feels does. perverse. But I am not going to get – and this is going to be a stuck in the middle with you first. I'm going to abstain. No fresh, no rotten for me because I didn't finish the film. 
But, but okay, in fairness, would you recommend this? I would recommend watching right up until the woodblocks come out. Okay. When you Whatever. see when you see Willem Dafoe in a shed, and uh, Charlotte Gainsbourg comes in angry and takes off her clothes, stop the movie. You don't have to go any further. But you should, because says you should this, experience films. Says this guy. Yeah, whatever. So yeah, I'm going to, but I will say that there's a lot of striking imagery in this film, but a lot of it is very ponderous and perverse. Yeah, 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 whatever. Nobody cares. <laughs> Why are you so dismissive of my opinion? Only this time, because I wholeheartedly disagree, and because... I'd invite you to go back and listen to every other podcast. We agree sometimes. Sometimes. I'm only dismissive but... of you when you don't agree with me. <laughs> Moving on such a dick. to the next order of business, which is recommendations. I'll let you go first because that's the order, right? That is correct. Your recommendation. Yeah, good. Uh, your, this is your movie, so it's my recommendation. Good, because I have no fucking clue what I'm gonna pick yet. <laughs> well, while, while I'm while I'm talking uh, talking about mine, you should look up yours. Yeah, that's good. I can ignore you. <laughs> Such a, you're so mean. You've you've like crossed the line from entertainingly curmudgeonly to just fucking mean. I love you. (laughs) My recommendation for this week is a great crime film from 1985. Mm. Stars stars William Peterson, the dude from CSI, Michael Mann's Manhunter, which is also a great movie. Mm -hmm. And Willem Dafoe, the dude who plays the dude in this movie. Uh, It's a William Friedkin joint called To Live and Die in L.A. It is... It is a great crime film, has one of the great car chases in uh, in film history, dare I say. Mm-hmm. Um, like, Los Angeles looks too saturated, the yellows look too yellow, and the reds look too red, and it's, it's, it's really cool. Like a quintessential 80s crime film. This is William Peterson before uh, Manhunter, this came out a year before, but it's still him working in that sort of reserved, intense, I'm going to fuck shit up mode and Willem Dafoe is just the best in this movie uh it's scored by Wang Chung no way yeah it's scored by Wang Chung is it really yeah like literally that's all you had to say to get me (laughs) to want to watch this movie it's also it's also shot by uh the reason it looks so damn good is because it was lensed by uh, Vim Vendor's collaborator Robbie Mueller yep so yeah to live and die in LA get on that it is great I could have uh, chosen any one of Lars von Trier's movies, any one of Charlotte Gainsbourg's movies with Lars von Trier. What's your favorite favorite LVT movie, just so people know? Fuck, that's hard. I can't. uh, Melancholia, honestly. I'm going to go with um, Dancer in the... uh, Not Dancer in the... Yeah. Breaking uh, the Waves. Breaking the Waves, thank you. Dancer in the Dark is like second or third. Dancer is second, yeah. Uh, Antichrist is third. But I'm going to go with Breaking the Waves. No, that's not true. Yeah, no, I'm going with Melancholia. Uh, Melancholia hit me on a very, very, very deep level. I spent the second time I saw that movie literally in my tub the entire time crying over it. But uh, (laughs) that's not any of the movies that you're recommending. Is that correct? No, I'm going to pick a film with Charlotte Gainsbourg, though. It's a a relatively modern movie, almost 10 years old now, actually. Um, Can I I guess? Yeah, sure. 
Is it the science of sleep? How the fuck did you guess? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, Michel Gondry's uh, like The Science it. of Sleep. I think it's a very underrated movie because it's really it came. Sweet. It's it's a very sweet film. It's not just sweet; it's also very sad. Uh... <laughs> okay, so, okay, so bittersweet. Yeah, very much bittersweet. Um... Yeah, I'm, this is actually I think my third favorite Gondry because I oh, well the first one being Eternal Sunshine, which I think is everyone's first one. Every, it's his most popular without and a doubt. i really like be kind rewind i think i may like it more than most i need to rewatch be kind rewind because i saw it when it came out and i was this fine is really with it. fun that's a really but, um, fun movie but i think science of sleep is so fucking underrated like it's, it, it it's really came right, i like it yeah it basically came like it was his first feature right after eternal sunshine not including block party which i think is a magnificent music documentary that's right uh, i forgot he did that yeah, no, Dave Chappelle's Block Party is magnificent. Uh, it's super underrated, too. I, I really like Michelle Gondry's 2000s period. Uh, <laughs> also, his music, while we're praising Michelle Gondry, let's praise his music video work. Absolutely. Without, like, yeah, no, definitely, definitely so. <laughs> go, everyone go back and watch A Fell in Love with a Girl by The White Stripes, the video oh for that. And it's that, perfect. That's like, that's like 90 seconds long, and it's like the greatest thing in the world. Watch all his Bjork stuff. Also, like, also, I, I'm going to say this one specifically because I don't think anyone our age listen to the, listens to these guys. Go listen to the to the music video for Remedy by the Black Crows. That shit is really good. But anyway, uh, The Science of Sleep is a really beautiful movie to me. And uh, it's Gary Garcia Bernal, who I've been in love with for a very, very long time. Woohoo! So, Derek, tell me, yeah. what is my movie to watch in the upcoming weeks? Well, our movie to watch because i got to watch this movie, too. That's right. Because I haven't seen this. Because <laughs> this particular movie I haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to uh, – you don't know what it is. I didn't tell you. But I'm going to give you some clues. Oh, my. All right. It's a movie released in 1972. 1972? Oh, my. What a, what a year. Yes. Famed Canadian actor Gordon Pinsent is in it. Please not first build. Gordon Pinsent. That's right. Canadians listening will know who the hell I'm talking about. I totally know. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, I'm pretty sure I know what movie it is, actually. And it also has an incredibly funky score by the great Gene Page. And does it star William Marshall? (laughs) Yes, fuckers, we're doing Blackula! I can't believe we're doing Black. I'm so excited. Hell yes. This is the first time I think I've like genuinely been excited for a movie you've picked oh, that I didn't know really about. Oh, this is going to be really fun, I think. Oh, this is I hope this is going to be fun. It's Blackula. Like that's that that has so much potential for discussion. Yes. And fun. And fun. Uh Juan and I run a website. It's a film criticism website. It's called Dim the House Lights. You can find it at dimthehouselights.com. That's where all of our long-form film criticism goes. Uh, we share the writing space with three other writers, Michelle Arf, Chris Mello, and Ross Burks. Uh, starting next week, we're going to have our first full-on collaborative feature on Them the House Lights. We're going to watch a bunch of movies from the same year, randomly selected from movies that we haven't seen yet. And uh, we're calling it the 1989 Tournament of Films. And uh, we invite you to come along and read along. Uh, it's going to last about three weeks, and it's going to be really fun. If you're interested... Uh, in this podcast specifically, you can check out our podcast's website, which is sitmwypodcast.tumblr.com. There you can find links to our iTunes page, you can find links to our RSS feed, and you can find links to the uh, Twitter accounts and Letterboxd accounts of both 
Juan and myself. Juan is on both of those websites as Whoa, It's Juanito. That's W-O-A-H, It's Juanito, all together. And I'm at both websites as Derek underscore G. Uh, if you're interested, you can go to our iTunes page, leave us a review, give us a rating, give us some feedback, give us some information that we can use to make the show better. I think that's about it, eh? Sounds about right, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, uh, thanks for listening, everybody, and see you in two weeks. Peace out, yo.